Good to see you guys. I'm so glad to be back uh, this morning. We're going to start out by shouting because I've missed it even when I was watching online. So let's shout. What do we do? We love God and we love others. And what do we say? I love God and I love you. That is the true confession of my heart and it is the confession of our, our church as well. It happens to be our mission statement as well. And so we're gl- I'm glad you're here. I'm glad I'm here. Uh, what an incredible past two weeks that we've had. Uh, Pastor Peter said I had been gone multiple weeks before that, but I've only been gone two weeks and I was kind of here last week and so it's not been that much. And uh, so, but what an incredible last two weeks we had. I've uh, been talking about sharing the gospel uh, first, we had uh, Mr. Dr. Professor Pastor Don Sanukian sharing about looking with the eyes of a doctor, right? Wasn't that powerful? Really just sharing the gospel locally in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our schools, entering a local world with the gospel. And then last week, we heard from author, speaker, Pastor Keith about sharing the gospel in our families to, to make Jesus the sole focus of launching, I use that example, launching our lives and the lives of our children. The gospel in our families caught and taught as we live it out in front of one another together. And I'm thinking like, ooh, those boys, them fire. And then I got to go this week and so, wah, wah, sorry, welcome back. Uh, In the next three weeks, actually, we're going to be still talking about the gospel, sharing the gospel, and we're going to talk about it in three other areas. We're going to talk about sharing the gospel globally, sharing the gospel at church, and then also sharing the gospel to myself. Now this week, uh, contrary to what Pastor Trevor said, we're going to be talking about sharing the gospel globally. I know he said at church, but that's all right. He's new here. You see him just get married. He was like fully fidgeting with his brand new ring on there. He's not used to wearing that thing. That was pretty cute. Uh, so nice. So newlyweds up in the front. How awkward and embarrassing and wonderful, wonderful. Um, but so we're today, we're going to wrap our arms around this idea of sharing the gospel globally. And uh, what a God incidence, because I just came back from a global missions trip, and uh, I happened to be wearing this nice uh, Thai shirt that my Thai friend Peter gave to me, and so like, wow, what a coincidence that that all came together so miraculously today, obviously planned, right? So um, I think the big issue with global missions, like in our individual minds, is that the problem is just too big. Global missions is really hard to wrap our heads around because the globe is hard to wrap our heads around. Eight billion people on this planet, how do, we, how do we process that? How do we kind of deal with that and how do we work that out? We can't possibly accomplish reaching the world. It's impossible for, for as we sit individually in, in our own hearts, that's where you're sitting listening right now, it's impossible for you to reach the whole world. It can't be done. And so how then do I, if I can't do the impossible tax, then how am I supposed to be involved in in sharing the gospel globally? And it's so difficult precisely because the globe is so big. So let's let's make it small. So two weeks ago, uh, three weeks ago, my son and I, Ethan, we we headed over to Thailand, and uh, our trip was really split into two phases. The first phase, we were in a city called Pattaya, where we were dealing with, uh, uh, or or meeting with our partners hand-to-hand, and they do all sorts of ministry, and Ethan and I, we uh, were able to go pray for the sick, uh, pray for people who were, like, in in slums. Uh, We were able to pray and 
and take care of some preschool kids. We were able to go to the jail and pray for them. We were able to pray for people who are coming to receive rice because they're having a hard time providing uh, even food for their family. We were able to pack rice and, and other provisions for people and pray over that kind of thing. And we're constantly praying and praying and praying and praying over these people. And then on the second part, uh, Ethan and I went to this tiny village. So one is this like city with slums and like just sort of regular city life. And then the, the second part, we were at this village called Kongjiem. It's about an hour and a half away from the nearest big city, which wasn't even that big of a city called Ubon. And it's uh, right on the border. Uh, just a river separates the border of Laos and, and Thailand. That's where this village is. And uh, we met with uh, some friends of ours, Peter and Eve. Uh, they're a pastor and a youth worker and a coach uh, and his wife. And they've been working in this village for a, a couple of years, almost three years now. And they've been living Jesus in front of about 50 kids. So they, they meet with uh, regularly, because of the pandemic, church has been closed, their schools was closed. And so about 50 kids have been coming to their house almost daily <laughs> because they had nowhere else to go. And they would uh, play with them and do church with them and teach them all the, these kind of things. Uh, about 50 kids from three different villages. And then when Ethan and I went, we had the opportunity to meet 20 of these kids. The first thing we did was uh, we played soccer with them, uh, barefoot, in the dust and rocks and thorns, 95 degrees, 100% humidity. It looks like that. Well, we had shoes. They didn't have shoes. <laughs> I didn't play barefoot. In the, the middle of this tiny town, totally poor place, but huge smiles and great kids. Here's one of those kids. Big world made small. In our first evening, so we played in the dirt right there, got all tired, the sun starts to set, set and then they gather in this, like, uh, by this ping pong table. Uh, that's where they hang out when it gets evening because there's only one light source. And in the first evening, I had the opportunity, totally unplanned, to share the good news that Jesus came to save them from their sins and allow them access into heaven and eternity and a real hope. Now, they've been learning about God from Peter and Eve for the last couple of years. And so they've been hearing about the Bible, hearing about Jesus. Uh, he's been showing them how to pray. Uh, they're, they're all Buddhist. 98% um, of Thailand is Buddhist. And so these kids had, no, uh, had never even heard of Jesus before, even the name of Jesus. It wasn't even culturally available to them. And, uh, but they've been learning about uh, God from Peter and Eve and watching their lives. And, and uh, they were ready to receive the words that I was sharing with them. So at the end of about a 15-minute talk, I asked if any of them wanted to become a Christian. And now this is a huge deal. It, it's such a big deal because there, there are only about 10 Christians in these village of about 1,000 people. There's only about 10 total Christians. And none of these kids' family members are Christians, and none of their parents are Christians. They're all Buddhists. So I asked them, who wants to make this incredibly brave and daring step to accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior? And then all of the kids raised their hands. And I uh, thought that I had misspoken or mistranslated it or something. And so I said, oh, no, 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 no. Put, put your hands down. Put your hands down. So th I clearly didn't say something right. So then I said, you know, this is like a real important decision. It's a personal one. You can't do it because your friends are. And don't worry. Peter and Eve and I will still love you no matter what you choose. So there's no pressure to do it. It's only if you truly believe it and you want to do this. And so having said that, you know, it was getting translated uh, by Peter uh, to the kids. So then having said that, you know, who wants to accept Christ as their Lord and Savior? 
And then all the exact same hands went up, and so apparently I was the one that was mistaken, not the translation. And uh, I, I prayed with them, prayed as a group, and all 17 of them accepted Christ Jesus as their Lord and Savior. 17 new believers joined the kingdom of heaven on Monday two weeks ago in a village in Thailand. And this is what that ping pong table looks like. It wasn't at a church sanctuary. It wasn't at a retreat. It was around a ping pong table in the middle of this tiny village. Big world made small. But this moment only happens because three years ago, our church together went to Thailand and we met Peter and Eve. And since then, you guys have sent them gifts. You've provided for their soccer ministry. You've uh, loved them and cared for them and prayed for them over the last three years. All which led to this moment where 17 souls in a country of 98% not Christians become sons and daughters of God. That's sharing the gospel globally. You did it. The opportunity was only available because of your previous three years of sacrifice, prayer, and care for these people. With some of you going a few years ago, all of you sending money over multiple years, and, and many of you praying passionately. So no, you can't save the whole world, but you can be part of saving some. Some like these guys. Because 17 is a huge number. And those souls are eternally altered. Your participation in global missions matters eternally. It matters personally to those kids. It matters to, to him. And it matters to him. And it matters to her. A big world made small. When Jesus tells his disciples, he says this to them, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and, and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded. This is exactly what Jesus is talking about. Exactly what he's wanting his people to do. That's what you were doing. This statement from Jesus can feel big. It can feel overwhelming but it's really a one-person ask. He's asking you, one person, to participate in bringing the gospel to one other person on the planet. To touch one life. Because don't worry about reaching every possible person because you can't. It's impossible to talk to the 8 billion people that are on this planet. But you can support one. You can talk to one. We can care for one village. I believe God's going to continue to use you, continue to use this church to build His kingdom all over the world. And in fact, I'm certain of it. How can I be certain? Because He already has. 17 believers in Thailand, 70 kids who were two weeks ago lost, but today are found. Global missions made small. Another way to strategically plan for global missions is to think about it like fishing a little bit. In Matthew 4.19, Jesus uses that analogy to a bunch of fishermen. He says, follow me 
instead of your previous job, I will make you fishers of men instead of fishers of fish. A couple of chapters later, it's recorded in Matthew that Jesus says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So go ahead and ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the harvest field. So what do these two things mean for us globally and, and for global missions? I'd like you to consider these two pictures. One is America and one is probably foreign countries. So here's our first picture. Right? And here's our second picture. In the first picture, there's a 2020 uh, Pew Research uh, polls people in America, and they found in America about 65% of Americans uh, claim to be Christians. So that means 35% of Americans claim not to be. And so in America, we have 65 people fishing for 35 fish. That's a lot of hooks in the water. <laughs> There's more fishermen than fish. In the same year, 2020 in Thailand, less than 2%, 1.78% of their population claim to be Christian. That means there's two fishermen for 98 fish. Now, who's more likely to catch a fish? Now, I'm not a professional fisherman. I don't know anything about fish. I don't like fish. But I know math a little bit. The odds are stacked for you in the second picture, right? If you're a fisherman, don't you go where the fish are? You don't fish in... Laguna Lake or Ralph B. Clark Lake by our house, there's no fish in there. There's like 50 people. There's got to be like maybe one fish in there. I go by everyone's bucket. Sometimes we walk by the lake. Nobody got any fish in their bucket. It's like this man-made lake. It can't be more than three feet deep, and there's 50 people trying to catch what are in those lakes. Nothing. Nothing's ever in the bucket. And so I think if you're trying to actually catch fish, you go where the fish are. If you're a farmer, don't you go where the harvest is plentiful? And if we're called to be fishers of men, don't we invest where there will be a yield of fish? A soul's harvest? Look, most of us won't become foreign missionaries, and, and that's okay. I don't think God asks like 90% of our church to go and become foreign missionaries permanently. Because I think God does ask us, from our current position, we can empower local fishermen at a fraction of the cost. We'll catch more fish per dollar, so to speak, if, if we invest in local fishermen versus trying to go catch them ourselves. There's an investment opportunity for every believer, and it's in the investment of eternity and the eternity of others. And, and we have to be strategically responsible with the position that God has given us, the unique position God's given us, knowing we're not all going to go become foreign missionaries, and that's okay. Fulfilling the Great Commission doesn't mean we all go do that necessarily, but it does mean that we all participate in it with the gifts and the abilities and the position that God has given you. So one way for us to do that is to invest in people that we trust to do ministry in other countries, people who will lead and evangelize in those countries. Because if you thought it was mandatory for you to, to go yourself in order to fulfill the Great Commission, you're just mistaken. It's wonderful if God calls you to go be a foreign missionary. That, that's fantastic, and there's nothing negative at all about that. But for most of us, that's not what he called us to. So, but that doesn't mean that we don't have a responsibility to the Great Commission. We have an equal responsibility to the Great Commission as the, the person that's called the full-time foreign missionaries. 
It's just in a different capacity. We at JRC have the opportunity to pray for, to empower, to commission the powerful work of the global, uh, sharing the gospel globally. And for whatever reason, God has asked our church to be involved in Thailand. Now, I'd never been to Thailand before I had come to this church, and I had quite frankly never really cared about Thailand before I came to this church. But this is one of the places that God has really placed on our church's heart and, and in the last five years, our church's ministry. Now, we have multiple places of missions investment in the Middle East, uh, in Canada reserves, in China, even though they're like currently right here, but they're going to be in China as soon as they can go back to China. <laughs> Hi, Tommy, but they're in L.A. today, but our missionary family. Um, but Thailand, I think, is a particular area of focus for wh whatever reason God has called us to that here at Jericho Road Church. Now, strategically speaking, Thailand gives us a really great bang for our buck, so to speak, because uh, with 10 times the buying power, so uh, our dollar counts for about $10 in Thailand. So with 10 times the buying power of our dollars, it goes a really long way. And there's ample opportunity for Christian growth in Thailand. And so one, our money goes a far way, and there's a whole lot of fish there. And so it's really exciting that God has placed our church in Thailand on the heart of our church to partner with this country. Now, when I was in Thailand, uh, hanging out with my friend Peter, he gave me this fancy shirt. Um, he's been praying for a couple years about this vision that he has, about expanding his outreach efforts uh, into developing a Christian center with like a permanent soccer facility and a, and a place for missionaries to come and stay and, a, and a, like a ministry room where kids can go inside, not just sit in the mosquito, you know, out, outside around this table and and a place to live, and, and all this kind of stuff, a Christian outpost really in the village of Kongjiam, and he's been sharing this vision. He had mentioned it a year or so ago, but, but while we were there, we were talking it up a bit, and he was sharing about this huge vision, and, and I'm thinking about like, man, can you imagine the cost of something like that? Because you know, I'm from America, I think if you tried to build a whole complex with soccer fields and like missionary housing and regular housing and uh, you know a ministry center for like, I'm like, they were talking... 10 million bucks? Like, what's that cost to do in Tustin? You know, like, that's got to be like in Irvine. That's, you know, $30 million or something. And, and so I was sort of curious, you know. Uh, so I said, like, oh, well, what would that cost? Like, what do you, what does, like, uh, if you bought a piece of land here cost? And he's like, oh, about 250000 bought. And I was like, oh, see, I knew. But then I do the math. Yeah. That's $8,000. <laughs> you know, I was like, your big dream revolves around $8,000, like your whole life's dream? It's like, that's not unreachable, like I'm saying in my heart. I said, what would it cost to build a house on that? Oh, like 180000 baht. Do the math. $4,800 to build a house? Are you sure? It's like, yeah, you know, I have a builder friend. Really? How much would a soccer field cost? Oh, about blah, blah, blah. 4000 bucks. That's a tricked-out soccer field if it's more than the house. You know, I was like, <laughs> uh, uh, priorities, you know. <laughs> it's like, what's this ministry center? Oh, that one would be probably huge, 350000 about like ten grand. So I'm doing the math casually. His whole life dream that would set him up for the next 20 years of ministry in this village to hundreds of kids that they could all meet Jesus, it's the price of like a, a low-end Honda Accord. About 43000 bucks. You get a Hyundai accent for that, you know? What do you get? 
you probably get more than a Hyundai Accent. You could get the Santa Fe for that. I know. And so I told them, like, it's cool that you have this vision and dream. I said, maybe, maybe not only should you have a vision and dream and, and a vision cast that, but maybe you should start to plan. Maybe you should start to think specifically about what that would entail if you wanted to actually do that in reality. And why don't you talk to me, and we'll see if God will do something. Now, I don't know. But maybe God will do something. So in a few weeks, there may be an opportunity for us as a church and us as persons to take a huge leap of faith and invest in our friends, Peter and Eve in Thailand. Like I, I normally hate talking about money or asking for money and that kind of stuff, especially at church. But lately, God's been asking me to embrace this phrase. There's this phrase that says, I'll beg so that they don't have to. I'll, I'll look for maybe some funds because they cannot. Even though, like, oh, personally, it's super cringy, but I'm willing to cringe for these kids that I met just for a couple of days. So I'll keep you posted. As a church, we participate in sharing the gospel globally really in four ways. It boils down to these four ways as a church. So our church is committed to these four asks from God as we think about globally sharing the gospel. The first is to send short-term missionaries. That's one of the, the ways we respond to God. And the key to that is really it's not how much we help the foreign places when we go there. It's how much God helps us when we go on short-term missions. That God changes our heart. It builds our heart. And it builds our faith so that we're more apt to support global uh, gospel sharing in the future. But, but there is a value to it. There's a, this great value of people that are working in country day after day after day after day after day. And then someone shows up and encourages them and prays for them and empowers them and supports them. There's a life-giving quality that comes from that. Bringing resources and praise and, and, and making sure that they know that they're not forgotten. Like, frankly, I was worried about going to Thailand because, like, in the Bible, Paul goes, and he's like, I'm going to go to these cities, and I'm going to encourage them, and I'm going to refresh them, the Apostle Paul, right? And I'm like, well, I'm going to go to the city, and I'm going to be, like, lame. You know, like, who wants to be encouraged? Or, like, what do I have to say to them? I have nothing to give. And so just every moment, at every juncture, all I was doing the entire time was just pray. We get in the car, let's pray for this car ride. We get out of the car ride and pray for that. We go into this restaurant, praying for that. Go to this place. This sick person, that person, praying and praying and praying and praying. And we visited them and we watched God pour his spirit out into people who were just needing to be refreshed. Workers, the people that have been working day in and day out who navigate this every single day. Like I, I spent three days with the kids and that was fantastic, but three months with the kids, nah. No thanks. You know, like I don't want that much kid time. Three years with the same kids? <laughs> Definitely not. But we were able to come and encourage and refresh them, fill their hearts. And then when we gave them the money that you guys raised, 100% of the money that you raised, we, we split it up and we gave it to them. They were so blessed. And this verse in 2 Corinthians 9-11, it became a reality because of your generosity. This verse says this, You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. And I can honestly tell you, 
that when we brought those gifts, your generosity, church, resulted in a thanksgiving to God. People who were like, stopped and prayed and were so thankful that you would care and give and support. So I can report back that the money was raised, the prayers you gave were received with gladness, with worship, with thanksgiving to God, hand to hand from missionary Paul and uh, absolutely with Peter and Eve and those Kong Jim kids. So that's the first thing God asked from us. The second thing he asked from us is to support long-term missionaries and, and to financially help share in the gospel globally. And we give so that they can go. And we do that as part of our church. It's part of our general budget. It's not even, we do additional giving and you guys are fantastic at that. But, but baked into our actual budget, your, your regular giving, we support missionaries, three missionaries around the globe. That's the second ask that God asked us as a church to do. The third ask is he asked us to support local pastors in foreign countries and workers. Financially support nationals who have a heart for their own people. And I would say, in my, in my opinion, this is most likely to yield a harvest of souls because there's no language or cultural barrier. And often the only hindrance is support. And so God allows us to do this as well. And the fourth thing that God asks our church to do in, for, in terms of global missions is to pray and I know it's like so Christian, right? To like pray. <laughs> like, uh, but, but who could do more? You or God? Who could do more? A missionary or God? A local pastor or God? Yes, go. Yes, God uses people. But the power of that use, it comes from God and it's fueled by our prayers. So the Bible says the, the prayers of the righteous person are powerful and they're effective. Effective. And it always seems unfathomable to me that, 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 that my prayer matters, that however it works, and I don't claim to know how it works, but the God of the universe, he asks me to pray, and then he moves because of that prayer, or he moves in conjunction with that prayer, and I don't know why or how. Maybe God is waiting for you to ask in order to move, not because he has to, but because he wants you to be involved globally. So let's begin to ask more. Let's begin to beseech God more in regard to sharing the gospel globally. Let's ask him to move through our partners, to, to stir us to continue to think about global missions and, and globally sharing the gospel. God asks us, each of us, to be globally-minded believers to participate in the Great Commission, even if you're not the missionary that goes. And we are doing that, and we will continue to do that here at Jericho Road Church. My dear friends, we're going to end this service with worship to that same God. About four, 14 hours, uh, there was a church service in Thailand with those kids. Now, the church is still closed. It hasn't opened up yet. Maybe next week or the week after, but they came together around that ping-pong table. And they had a worship to God. And, and I want to join their voices. We, they're in an earlier time zone. And so would you stand with me and join the vo voices of those 17 kids who worship God in a foreign country. And we get the privilege and the honor of joining those new believers in a worship to God. So let's go ahead and do that.